The Seven Rock Life Show is about stories that inspire with people that you will admire, learning to develop new chapters in life, learning from the past, but letting the old stories expire so it gives room for the new stories you create. Our brand is about three things, victorious in your life, contributing to society, and having fun along the journey. Seven Rock Life is a lifestyle that inspires and gives back with a mission to impact the world one life at a time. I'm your host, Steve Mazurko. Thanks for tuning in and being part of this journey. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to 7 Rock Life Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mazurko, along with a really special guest. Uh, she knows me very well. Uh, she uh, has been the person that raised me my whole life, and it's an honor to have um, the first woman on our podcast, 7 Rock Life Nation. Uh, a few uh, months ago, I said uh, I asked my mother to be the first person because she's a story that inspires and somebody that I admire. And uh, I'm so excited to have her here. So here's my mom. Say hello, mom. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Ah, she's French. Oui, oui, bonjour. Mais bien sûr. Ah, she does speak English. I just want to say a quick story, just a very short story before we go into our um, podcast here. Steven's name originally was supposed to be called Jean-Pierre. Oh, boy. And it was our first argument, my husband and I, the day that he was delivered, we, I truly, truly wanted to call him Jean-Pierre because I was born in Roubaix, France. And I think it would be kind of nice to have a French name. So just imagine that two of us trying to decide what to call him. But all in all, I think we agreed to Stephen Richard Mazurko. And this is who he two is. Two simple now. names, Stephen, Stephen and Richard. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> I think it suits him very well. And I'm kind of glad that my husband was against my choice of name. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's going to be a great time. And, and guys, you're going to hear a lot of fun stories, just a lot of upbringing and, and coming from the European culture. And we, um, you know, we have so many great conversations. And what I love a lot about my parents is as they get older, they get cooler. Like I literally have to like keep up with their coolness because they're just uh, they're just an amazing parents. I'm just so blessed to have them. And I'm grateful to be able to have the Seven Rock Life Nation uh, being able to be exposed to this. And what was funny is that I asked my mom in Miami, I said, Mom, would you do a podcast with me? And only, and she said, only if we can have wine while we do it. So she's not drinking because she had a little, uh, you know, throat issue. So, um, so she's drinking water. So, uh, I'll drink the wine for her. All right. But we're, well, you can't <laughs> help that because it's what the French do. They love their little wine, the little red wine. We're not alcoholics, but we like our little red wine yes. every day. It's healthy for you. Grandpa it's very was, healthy. he was always with his, his, Absolutely. his vodka and everything. Absolutely. And, oh man. So, uh, mm -hmm. but guys, you know, we're, we're going to go into it and, and, I'm excited because I'm probably going to learn things about this that I didn't even know about my mom. Um, just coming from a, a European culture. And one of the first things, uh, you know, and I love you, mom. Thank you for just being an amazing mom. And you're, you're always quite there. Welcome. And you're a mom, not just to me, but to many people around, friends wise, you know, people that we've uh, been able to mentor. And uh, I'm just grateful for that, for you and dad just paying the you. dream. And she even brought it's up. It's my pleasure. She brought, what's crazy is that uh, she brought something from English class that I don't even remember that I made. And it was for, uh, in the English uh, class that I did, and it was about writing, and the lady said in my book, my teacher, her name was Miss Caldecott. Yes, right? yes, and she's absolutely. like, you know, keep writing, keep doing something, and now, you know, June first coming, a book coming out, and I'm just so humbled and so grateful, and always remember where you came from, and always keep those memories. She actually predicted that he would become a great writer one day, 
And here I found this postcard, a thank you note from her. And it just blew my mind away. And I had to share it with Stephen. And like he says, his book is coming out June 1st. And all of a sudden he has uh, this thank you note from his teacher from when he was 12, 13 years old saying that she can see him as a writer. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, and, and my goal is to inspire people, help people get through their obstacles of life, things that I've learned and, and gone through. And, and you've always been there to support us. So you ready to have some fun, Mom? Absolutely. You ready? You ready to find out things about us? Yes, me? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm you? ready. I'm just grateful that you're doing this. So <laughs> I don't mind. So tell us a story. Just kind of, um, sure. you know, start from the beginning. Sure. Uh, talk from your heart from Europe sure. and Belgium and all that. Okay. So I was born in Belgium, France. To my dad, who his name is Alex, and my mom, her name was Irene. Alex was born really in Poland, which became Russia later on. And my mom, which I found out maybe 20 years later, never knew, she was born in Germany. I'm French because I was born in France. So um, the story goes that um, it was very rough in Europe, and um, my father... Um, would not work in the mines in France because this is where we located. We lived in a mining village called Roubaix, France. And um, it was a mining town where, you know, men to make a, a dollar to for their family to support them, they'd have to go into these mines, dark, damp, uh, nasty, and breathe um, the coal all day long. And when they would come out of that mine... Um, you could see their faces were all black because back then you're talking about, oh my goodness, you know, um, gee, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, um, when I was a little girl, um, men would not survive. Um, they actually would die of pneumonia by the age of 35, 36. So it was a hard, hard life, a hard way to provide for your family. My father tried that for one month, and he said, I can't do this. No, this can't be my life. I, I just can't do that. So he decided to come to America, and um, it's an amazing story. I was a child. I was about six years old. I do remember a lot from Europe because I was raised by my grandmother, and back then we had no electricity, no running water, no hot water. That was in Europe. That was in Europe, wow. in France, and I remember helping grandma, and she would give me uh, a bucket, and she'd say, you know, we need water, and we need to heat some water up to give you a bath. I'd go a, a couple of hundred feet in the middle of the road. There was something called like a water spigot for the whole village. There must have been maybe 15 homes there that belonged to the miners, and I would just go up and down with the spigot and fill it up with water and bring it to grandma. Um, when we went to sleep, it was so cold sometimes at night that they would put coals underneath the mattress and that felt wonderful, that warm mattress. So we didn't have the luxuries. I was not, you know, I was not raised in a luxurious house and upbringing. Uh, life was hard, but we were happy and it was simple, but I felt the love that grandma gave me and she took care of me because my parents had to work and they had to work in the city. So that was that. So that actually, that makes a lot of sense then. What's because that? I think, um, you know, growing up, you, you always like you and dad, cause you guys were very successful, built, mm -hmm. you know, large businesses, had mm -hmm. real estate, mm -hmm. did very well financially. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you, you were a, a lead administrator, mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, for a big, um, um, well, what, that was a practice, right? Practice, private practice, private practice. and also administrator in a hospital. Yep. You a know, secretary administrator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, um, you know, so you, 
you go from that to like that, mm-hmm. you know, right? You know, mm-hmm. living a great life, and then but that perspective you always kept. Yes. And yes. and it makes sense why, like, because growing up, I remember Grandpa mm-hmm. just always uh, making things out of anything. Like yes. he would take peanut butter jars and well, put. He was very thrifty. Yeah. And so, he... from your childhood, walk us through what are things that you? What else do you remember that you brought into that to the American world? Because we'll go into the American world when you came in here. Because a lot of people listen to this. They don't know how their parents came here, you know, and what they went through. Right. The one thing I just want to say is I really, I, you know, when you're little, when you're a youngster and your parents are just going from one place to another, or such in my case, my father went from one country to another country. As a, as a little girl, I had no idea that we were leaving France. I was five, six years old. All I know is, you know, we packed up and we were in an airplane and all of a sudden we landed at JFK at the time and there was snow outside. Did I know at five or six that we actually had left France? No, absolutely not. All I know is here I am in America with my mother, my father, and my brother who had been born there. And now instead of living in a village with no electricity and no hot water, and um, the bathrooms are outside, by the way, I find myself (laughs) in an apartment. It was called like a brownstone, first floor tenement. And it, to me, that was like an upscale, I guess, at the time. And um, my father only had $25 in his pocket, too. When, when he, he came, came to America. $25 in oh his pocket. Oh, my gosh. So just, just think about that. You're, you're leaving your country that you love and would like to stay there. But because for you know economic reasons and financial reasons, there was no jobs at all. And he chose, again, he made a decision. He was not going to work in the mines. That was the only thing that you could do at the time because, unfortunately, he had not gone to – he couldn't go to school. Um, but he did go to, to war. You know, he served in the Army, World War II, for about five years. And what do you do, you know, when you leave the military after World War II and everything is destroyed? I mean, every almost every country was destroyed over there and had to be built up again. So – he made a choice, he made a decision, and that decision led him to come to America and give myself, my brother, and my sister an opportunity here in America to live a better life. I always think about that. I say to myself, and many times, even now, I always say, what would have happened if he had struggled and he had stayed in France and either continue working in the mine, and who knows if he would have lived past 35? This wouldn't be happening right no, now. No, I wouldn't. Probably, no, I would be a completely different a person. So a choice that a person makes in his life is, is really that matters, but you have to make that decision. And that's, you know, when you, when you pick up your family like that from one country to another and you only have $25 in your pocket and you have a dream of having a better life, um, that, that means something. Yeah. And it what, really did. When you so walk us through. So it makes sense how you were in Europe and and mm-hmm. uh it's just when I hear the stories of you and dad and dad with the grapes and the horses like well, dad doesn't like He's from Sicily, so. Yeah, dad he's doesn't like drinking because he was around, you know, the, the horses and the poop and uh, you know and the, the grapes, smell the and the grapes. The making of the grapes when they fermented. Yeah, so grosses he's him out. Right there, so that's why he doesn't Yeah, he's like, like I don't like the drink, no. you know. I never <laughs> drink, you know, the the, the 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 grapes, the horses, poop, everything not yeah. no good, you know. What so let me ask you a question. When you got to America, right, I know it was, it was hard, and I want you to be transparent, right? The whole world's going to hear this. How did it feel? What was it like coming to America? Because sometimes we're born here, and we don't realize how grateful we are. And the adjustment it had, you had to have through those first couple of years. 
You know, um, it's amazing because I accepted it for some strange reason. Uh, I don't know if it because I was young, five or six, and maybe at that age you adapt easily to change. But there was a difference, absolutely. I mean, you find yourself in an apartment now where the bathtub is in the kitchen, okay, but at least you can run hot water in it. Mm -hmm. There's a wash machine in the kitchen. And the toilet is not in the apartment, but is in the hallway where you have to share with all the other tenants in the building. Oh, my gosh. So at least the toilet is on the outside. Um, and the interesting part is, have you watched The Godfather? You've seen the first. Hey, oh, forget about yeah. it. Yeah. Remember when they have a scene and they show like all these shopping carts, mm -hmm. people delivering ice, yeah. uh, delivering bread, delivering milk and mm -hmm. all those little carts? Well, that was my life. Wow. I went through that. We went through that. That's crazy. That you would hear even um, sharpening of the knives. Mm -hmm. they'd, ha they'd have the vendors in their little with the horses. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. I'm not that old. Trust me. <laughs> now you're young. But it's like, it's going, well, if you want me to be like going back to my roots, I have, the, when I see The Godfather, I put myself in that movie because <laughs> it's really, really true. I mean, you have the guys um, would sharpen the knives. <laughs> Okay, you'd hear um, jingle bells or not jingle bells, but just some kind of chimes, you know, telling you maybe it was the ice maker coming in to put a block of ice in your refrigerator on in the, the fridge. top. Yes, in the because you didn't have um, didn't Freon. Have, no, we yeah. didn't have any of that. So wow. twice a week they'd have a block of ice to and and I guess a lot of folks that are probably my age will understand this. Yeah, they would put it in the refrigerator so you can keep your food cold. Mm -hmm. uh, bread was delivered. You'd find your milk delivered by your door. Uh, it was truly, truly um, a very different place um, that we have today. But you know what? People adapted. People lived. Yeah. People went to work. It, it, it just has, to this day, you know, it's such a memory. And I, I think I adapted well. You know, I was, the I was a translator of my parents. Uh, people, you know, they they never really spoke English until later, later on in life. So mm -hmm. I was raised with two languages, French and Polish. Wow. I spoke French and I understood Polish. And yeah. I have an amazing story to tell about my parents. Um, for you guys out there that maybe, you know, find someone attractive, but they don't speak your language. It can be possible. You can get to know that person. <laughs> <laughs> I once asked my father, because my mother was very... She was very secretive. I really didn't know too much about my mom, but my father, would. he was a big talker and loved to talk and tell stories. And uh, he met her in a bar uh, during the war. They have these breaks to soldiers, and they go dancing. It's, like, it's, like, it's a bar, but you go dancing and whatnot. And he found this attractive woman just sitting there, and she was beautiful, but when he went up to her, she didn't speak his language, and he didn't speak her language. And guess what? They got together somewhere, somehow, and they spoke communicated. With each eyes. And they learned, yes, they learned each other's language, and that's how I was raised. So wow. it is possible. It's a little love story. Well, the, I always, I always say the most powerful language in the world is love. It is. It's it is the universal language that we all speak. It is. Yeah. It is. What did you take away from your parents, mom? Like from just what you learn from them? You know, the good things. Bad things, things that you said, all right, let me, you know, because you always learn from them, right? You do learn from them. But what I noticed growing up, to be honest with you, um, both of them were working all the time. They had a system. They both worked. 
My dad worked during the daytime and he made sure he was home by four so that when we were home, he was there for us. My mom had the night shift. So by four o'clock, she left and she came home around midnight, one o'clock. So they weren't around. My father was, for me, after four. He was a porter and he was a super. Yeah. And life was was a little um, always on the go with him as a super when he first came here. You see, he was the type to, he was motivated and wanted to put money and save money on the side. So he was smart. After our first apartment in the city, he decided to become a super. And a super is a superintendent of a building. Yep. And it could be an apartment building of, you know, 15 floors, 20 floors. So he kept his job as a porter, which is uh, cleaning offices. And uh, when he would come home, he would just uh, put coal in the furnace, clean the steps, take the garbage out, Mm. just maintenance of a building. So he was a true worker, Um, but he was home and um, he got a free apartment. They give you a free apartment. Yeah, I remember, I remember you telling me that. Yep. You didn't have to pay for the apartment. And they gave him a little bit of money here and there. But how smart is that? You know, so here he gives his services to take care of a building. But in the meantime, he doesn't have to pay for the apartment. But I remember moving a lot, you know, because it would be two years, three years. We'd be in the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens. Um, the moving I didn't like too much until he finally decided that was it. You know, 15 years is enough. He had enough capital, enough money on the side, and he bought his first house wow. in Queens. So what did you see from, from Grandpa? You know, what were the things that were good? Because he, he had a lot of great things that I, I brought into my life because I used to go upstate to see his simple, because he had a simple life. Very. Um, but very happy, very just like... He was a very funny guy. He was very funny. He would do this uh, Russian dance, which very was hilarious. Very funny. Love yeah. telling stories. Tell some stories was, of just oh things you... Oh, my yeah. God. There's so many, Stephen. There's so many stories. Um, he loved to scare you guys. He I did. remember. I remember the, ba- the bad story. Okay. So listen to this. Right. We're, in, we're upstate, <laughs> mm-hmm. and... We were we have this uh this family home that we go up there and it was like ten acres with creeks and and waterfalls it was beautiful. We would go up there and I remember one night we uh we went to bed we woke up and there was a bat flat on the desk, and uh, we're like Grandpa what what's this doing here? He's like oh, I just wanted to show you what I caught last night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I was I was just like he was just so like so. <laughs> Funny, like with things, and then he had a he t- he was so creative. Like he used the bathtub to be the frog tank to raid the the, the toads. Is it oh, the toads yeah, or the, outside? Yeah, to turn the frogs. Is it a toad? Yeah, uh, a toad, right? Uh, what frogs? Well, frogs. A toad frog, turns toad. into a frog. Yeah, yeah. And um, frogs. Yeah. And he was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the deer and 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 the snake very, that we had. He was very, very much creative. into nature. Yeah, very much into and, nature. And I think let, let's talk a little bit. Like, so let's go from your story to life. When you look at life. What do you think of the challenges with this world a little bit right now? Do you think that we're we're not present in a moment? We're not taking our time to enjoy what's around us? Absolutely. Farming, you know, having a garden, just being like one with nature. Well, it was more physical back then. You know, you woke up and you got your hands dirty and your body was actually moving. And I think that's what my father, you know, instilled, I think, in me to see him wake up five in the morning on the weekends when he didn't go to work. Even when he was retired, he was up five, five thirty, make his breakfast. He'd go out there and he loved his garden and he just, 
he just worked in his garden and he was physical and doing something. And you're right. If something needed fixing, he would find odds and ends. He wouldn't go to Home Depot like people do today, you know, or dad goes to Home Depot all the time. Dude, that place is dangerous. Yes. <laughs> um, he would look around and see what he had. He had like this one corner of all miscellaneous things, fences, wood, whatever. And he would just make do with what he has. He mm -hmm. was just amazing. He never spent a dollar on something he really, really, really really never needed to buy and yep. i remember in america you know everything when you bought something it was cash um checks were not when we came here there was no such thing as checks and credit cards so wow he always paid for something through cash but he would wait he would barter too oh he was a great barter Oh my God, he tried to bargain for something, squeeze every dollar he could because it meant a lot to him. But I do remember uh, when the credit cards came out, he didn't want to have anything to do with credit cards. He said to me, and I, I'll never forget this, he said, if you don't have the money to buy what you want because you really want it, then you just don't, you don't buy mm. it. Go out, make the money, wow. save your money, Whichever way you can, when you want it, then you will get it. And I used that wow. principle all my life practically. And I remember when I was 16 or 15, of course, I was still living home. I wanted a stereo so bad, you know, one of these stereos because I love listening to music and a stereo with a record player. But that was like 300 and something dollars. And that was a lot of money back then. That's a lot. And my parents weren't going to buy me that. No way. I was lucky if I had a pair of shoes for the whole year. And that's not because they didn't love me. It's because, you know, things were tough and they felt having a roof on your head and, and having mm. food and heat and what the necessities was more important than having sh multiple shoes, yep. you know, on your feet. So I'll never forget that. And I did what he did and I saved my money because I babysat a lot and $12 here, $15 there. Eventually I came up to $300 and guess what? I bought my own stereo and you know what? It felt, felt great. Good. Yep. It felt wonderful. So he instilled those kind of principles in me. Yeah. And, and that got passed down because I, it's funny now I see. Do you see it? Oh yeah. I see it 100%. Do you see how frugal and, I am? And just, you know, it's. A lot of times we, we don't act our salary. We don't act our wage. I have a chapter of that in the book. Mm -hmm. And it's just, um, I think a lot of times, you know, going, going a little bit more back actually to like mm -hmm. living a simple life, right? Mm -hmm. Living the life that we feel. Do you feel that we've gotten a far away from what we were destined to be? Absolutely. So this is kind of how I relate it, right? Remember SeaWorld? They just got rid of the orcas that yes. were living there. Yes. I feel like, and this is just, I saw, I was driving another day and I was thinking about this and mm -hmm. maybe you can relate to this seven rock, you know, like mm -hmm. podcast nation is that we are kind of like people have put us in this this sea world type of kind of bubble in a tank in a tank that is not our natural element and because we're not our natural element we don't behave how we naturally would be and they would say orcas are dangerous right and if you see the documentary orcas are dangerous and they kill people but mm -hmm. in like natural life they actually don't kill anybody. They're no. actually very, you know, mm -hmm. besides, you know, seals and their food, but mm -hmm. they know the difference. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we haven't been put into the environment that we were supposed to be. There's a book, always talk about it, Wild at Heart, how we are meant to be in nature. Because I remember my, my fondest memories was going to the Taconic Lake up in mm -hmm. Catskill Mountains, mm -hmm. being able nature. to be land nature. Like mm -hmm. we were the happiest there. We are. And we've gotten so far away from that talk and about, what human created. Right. Talk about that radio that we used to make fun of. Grandpa had a radio. Yep. 
an old-fashioned radio. Remember that radio with a wire handle? Yep, I do and remember we that. we always made fun of him, and we wanted to get him a brand-new radio because it was a radio from 1920 or something. But it worked. But it worked and had the wonderful music and old music and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and like just so, so, so beautiful to listen to. And he would have nothing of it. He didn't want us to get a new radio. Yep. But that's the way he was. Simplicity. Our lives are so, true. so complex today. Give so, us your perspective of life. Well, like, it's so complex. And you know what? People aren't happy. Women aren't happy with all these technologies that we have. When I think of how I was raised... Okay, and women today have dishwashers, automatic vacuum cleaners, um, everything that you have is, is at your fingertips. Everything is touch, you know, microwaves, stoves, uh, everything cleans by itself now. And I say to myself, as a you know, as a woman, you know, that you know has a kitchen, a beautiful kitchen with all these luxurious appliances. Why is it you always here? It doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a man, too. I mean, say, I just don't have time. I don't have time. I just feel with all these appliances and technology, all I hear wow. is I don't have time. But yet back then, I'm going to be honest with you, being that we had to actually do things physical, I felt that the day was longer. And we never heard anybody say we don't have any time. We actually made the time. Because yep. back then people made breads. We made the bread. We didn't go to the store and to a bakery and buy bread. The women um, or men, men or women, whatever, the families, we made bread. We made homemade food. We, we never had the luxury of going into a supermarket and picking out things and now things are frozen. It was such a simple life. And uh, I think we... We have jumped over too fast, too quickly, and haven't preserved that life. We should we should preserve the past a little bit mm. and incorporate That's that really into good. the future. Uh, because we're going too much into the future, too soon, too fast. We're not ready for the future as human beings. We really aren't. Because it's like the orca that's going into an exactly. environment that doesn't that doesn't. Wow. Yes. Holy cow. <laughs> well, it's this is amazing because it's it's so true. It's true. I love what you just said. Preserving the feet, the past. Yes, we have to preserve the, the the past. Because if you put a tiger in in the wrong environment, it's not what it was meant to be. No, no. It's and what gonna, will happen to that tiger? It's going to react according anxiety, to anxiety. Exactly. Pissed off, fight. Exactly. You know, hurt somebody. Right. Exactly. And would you would you say that is kind of what has okay. happened to this world? Since we're on this topic, okay, mm -hmm. perfect example is New York City. Mm -hmm. Okay, New York City at one time, if you look at Central Park. That's what New York City. It was all land, mountains, rocks. Yeah. That's that was all wooded area. They turned New York City now into a city with skycapers, buildings. Now look at the people. Look at the people in New York City. Do they look happy? They're rushing back and forth like, you know, That's like, so true. they don't they I don't even look night. at you, they don't smile at you. Uh, they're just, you don't know, they're like <laughs> ants going back and forth, back and forth, this way, that way, that, that, that. It just drives you nuts. Same thing. Then you got the vehicles and you got the taxis and the buses and there's no connection to, to, to that environment that once used to be a pristine, beautiful, you know, tree wooded area. And so people adapt to the environment, to that environment now, that hustle bustle. You take that person. 
out of that environment, that New York City environment, put him in a, a different environment. Come to Long Island or upstate where there are mountains and trees, and I bet you in about two weeks, that person would be a total different person. So true. You got to disconnect from, mm -hmm. you know, from technology. Uh, I, I've been really, I've been meditating more and studying Buddhism and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's funny when you disconnect, not where you disconnect mm -hmm. so much, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of great things mm -hmm. and a lot of great beauty mm -hmm. in the city. But what makes the New York City great is, is um, Central Park. Yes. Without Central Park, oh, without without that beautiful piece of land, oh, I mean, no. when you go over it, you're like, wow, look mm -hmm. at that. You don't look at like, look at all the buildings. Buildings mm -hmm. are nice. Mm -hmm. They look at this piece of land mm -hmm. with the softball fields, with the water, with mm -hmm. the lakes, with, you know, the trails and people hanging out on the rocks. That's what you enjoy. Yeah, because I, I, when you're in a natural habitat, like an environment um, laid back, uh, like we, we've traveled a lot, right, Stephen? Like because of your baseball. Oh my God. Yeah. And even recently, so many it's, places. yeah. And even like as recent as how many years ago were you doing Stony Brook playing baseball? Um, 31. So that was 10, 11 years ago. Okay. So we're talking about just the States, just being in the States and going to Virginia and going to um, all these places, you know, in the United States. Oh my God, we traveled with him. And what was the amazing part that I noticed about traveling and going to the different parts, Oklahoma, the people in these states, the Midwestern states, they seem to not have kind of moved forward. They were very talkable, likable, sincere people. Um, it was just amazing the difference between traveling and talking to these people who were just so friendly and so kind and genuinely just wanted to have a conversation with you. Now, bring it back home with a person in New York City or Queens or wherever there's like a lot of people and businesses, will they take the time to say, hi, how are you? Where are you from? You don't get that. And, and that's a shame because people are disconnecting from each other. Yeah. It really and, is a shame. And I think you need to move forward in the right areas of life. In the right areas. There's right areas there's and there's wrong balance. areas. Exactly. hundred percent. A, a yin and yang. Yeah. What do you, real quick, before we move on to the next, this is good stuff. I'm like, I love you, mom. You're awesome. But can I just interject sure. one more thing uh, while it's on my mind? You're my mom. You know, yeah, I'll, I have uh, to allow you. <laughs> I, I won't remember next time. So when you find yourselves, you know, like um, stressed out and like those ants going back and forth, you know, raising children <laughs> and going to their baseball games and bowling, which is what we did as well, but you can't help it. That's part of life. That's what we do. And you find yourself, you know, in a rut, just, you know, going about your, your day and years go by. Do take the time. It's so important to just walk away from it all and find yourself, go to the beach, Go to an isolated area where there's very little people. It's just you and nature. I don't care what you like. You like the mountains, you go to the mountains. You like the beach, you go to the beach. But pull yourself away from that environment. It's so important with yourself or with your partner, you know, just you and, and the other person or alone. And you will find such peace and tranquility that you'll be able to accept the life that you're going through right now. It's so important because um, those midlife years when you have a family and a grown family um, and raising children, uh, the key to successful children is to keep them busy, to be honest with you. And the busier the kids are, um, the less likely that they're, they will get in trouble. Um, so we did that with all three of our children. But 
it's not just keeping them busy and signing them up for clubs and baseball and football and basketball and arts and craft and gymnastic. You have to be there with them, which is what my husband and I did with our, all our three kids. If they bowled, we were there. If they played baseball, we were there. So I would say about 10, 12 years of your life, you're busy doing that. But you know what? It's the most rewarding thing in life. Yes, you've sacrificed a little bit of your life. But now that I'm retired, now I'm getting to enjoy life all yeah. over again. Yeah. And um, it's funny because it's so true. You guys were always there. And, and we've been talking about this. We were in Miami last week. And how awesome was that? Oh, my God. I would do it again. <laughs> you know, I was able to surprise you. What, what do we? I surprised you right the other day. Oh uh, my God, Stephen! <laughs> Stephen had said, um, "You know what? Do you mind going shopping and getting a few cold cuts and things?" I'm Never gonna, did. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm going to take you to the beach tomorrow. It's a really nice beach, and we'll have a picnic on the beach. And I said, "Oh wow, that sounds awful." But because it was getting late and whatnot, never got a chance, and they closed early. I couldn't go to the supermarket, so Stephen went. So he went to get. Uh, uh, the picnic that we were supposed to have on the beach. So we meet up with him, and um, all of a sudden, I find myself in a harbor full of yachts and big boats, and I'm like, this doesn't look like a beach. What are we doing here? We had a couple of friends with us, and they helped take the shopping ba bags out of the car, and all of a sudden, they're putting the shopping bags in a yacht. And I'm like, why are these bags going in the yacht? Lo and behold, Stephen surprised everybody, the family and the friends that were with us, and um, we had a whole day on a private yacht with two, with the captain and a and an assistant all to ourselves to just enjoy and tour Miami. Oh my God, it just blew my mind away. It, he surprised all of us, and um, yeah. to be able to have that to spend the you know your day like that with your son. And for him to do this to you, no money in the world can, you can't give me any money for that. That's it. It's, yeah. in, it's in my memory. And, it's in my mind. And, you know, and if you're hearing this, you know, I, I'm not saying to say, oh, my God, look what Steve did. No, the, the point is that I think you need to have what drives you in life. I always, I say you have to find a vehicle in life that's going to allow you to have experiences because it's life resumes, right? And we were in Barbados over the summer. Oh, my Never God. Never will forget that. We memory. rented a beautiful villa. That's another memory. Um, the boat club, the, the these different things. And I think that's why you work hard. Yeah. I, I say it in the book. It's, it's not about, you know, jobs are not bad. It's just you're restricted of what you can do. And life's about life experiences, life resumes. You know, Jesse Itzler talks about that is that, it's the things that you remember. It's not the money that was left. It was the things you remember with what you did with the money that you remember. Right. But the one thing that I want to interject, and that's going forward, but that's okay, is um, as we grow older, the parents, you know, uh, mothers, fathers, um, children sometimes have a tendency to forget their parents because they see them as being old. Or maybe the parent himself is not enthusiastic and just doesn't want to go anywhere. So, you know, the children just kind of like give up on paying attention to them. And that is so sad. But in our case, um, Stephen has always been there for me and his father. And I guess he I must, love you guys. He doesn't see. I don't feel old around Stephen. Let's put it that way. I just he, he just brings so much life into us. Uh, he's just an amazing son, as well as my other son and my daughter. 
But I have to say, is the baby of the family, oh my God, he is just, um, he's really very, very special. And he's, he's done things for us that I would never imagine in my late 60s that I would be enjoying so much of my life. Because just think about it, when people turn 60, they automatically say, oh, I'm old. It's the end of my life. That's it. I'm done. Well, I'm having so much more fun now. And I told Stephen, <laughs> the next thing I want to do is I want to do that gliding thing up in the air with the... Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I'm not afraid That's of that. That's amazing. What do you call that? The, uh, they put you up in the air. It's a hang, gli- gli- hang gliding. Hang, gliding. Uh, hang gliding. You're awesome. Well, it's over the water. So yeah. if anything happens, I'm a good swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But I'll be honest with you. I think there's life events in your life that shift you. And when you almost, you know, when dad had two heart attacks at the hospital yeah. and when yeah. I saw him almost pass away. And then when I saw you with your clogged artery with your neck, mm-hmm. it motivated the crap out of me to say, man, like, like tomorrow's not promised. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, like you may lose people in your life, but you'll never lose experiences with those people. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, I hate to say it, but death and passing and how you, you kind of view it because you view it in a very good way. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people, you know, you deal with your mom or dad or family or, or, or siblings or something happened in your life. It's, it's part of life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to really enjoy these moments that we have, you know, in, you know, in, uh, in sync with what you can make, but it's also making sure that you're doing the right things so that you can enjoy those things. Like mm-hmm. Sunday is Palm Sunday, hanging out with the family and mm-hmm. enjoying those moments, but then working during the week, it's that balance of life, which is important. Right. And, uh, and, and that's cool. What up? real quick, going a little bit back, there was, cause you were the first person to read the book before it edited, right? There was something, I don't even know how I wrote it, but, um, there was something in the book mm-hmm. about parents that made you realize something. What, what was it? Actually, that's what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about um, the senior population. Uh, again, when you turn 60, the 60 plus years ahead of you when most people retire and you know become grandparents. Um, I, I, find, I find, again, that our elderly population is abandoned, mm. that they don't have the love and support of either their family, and that's so sad because everybody should have a family. And I'm going to tear up because I also have a soft spot for homeless people. And the other day, I was just driving. I was about to stop, but I think I was dressed like too nicely and they didn't want to embarrass this person. I saw a homeless person, and it was in the area where I live. And I kind of like slowed down the car, and he was sitting on top of a cart, a shopping cart. I guess because the ground was cold and he had layers of coat. He was disheveled, of course, and his all his personal belongings were all around him. And I, I just looked at this man and I view a lot of homeless people like this that I see men and women. And I say, what put these people in this position? What happened to their families? What happened to their sons and daughters? Because you can't, you know, we don't know what happened to these people. And why Why are they like this? What happened? Who neglected them? Mm. There's no way a homeless person should be living like that outside with no family, not even one person to care about themselves. I don't know. We are a heartless society. And uh, shame on the son. He, he, of, of course, he had a mother. And if he had children... Shame on the children for abandoning their parents because in today's world, 
we should not be abandoning our parents. And I see that a lot. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely um as a culture we need to work with each other and mm-hmm. everybody has their own story. Mm-hmm. But being there, especially love. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, love. It's that love that mm-hmm. is so powerful. I mean, for for you, mm-hmm. what was a part that you learned with what you read that kind of hit home to you? Um, you know, with when you were reading because you you messaged me and there's something that really hit home to you about your parents and your mom and dad. Well, as far as um, my parents, oh yeah, that it took me, well, I don't know which part you're referring to, but the one that I kind of remember is, again, as we're children and we're being raised by our parents, we look at our parents, but we really don't know who our parents are. Mm-hmm. We really don't. We just see them going to work. They're providing for us, um, you know, taking us maybe to the beach. But do we ever have a conversation with them as we're growing up? I don't think so because we're both busy. You know, we're looking we're looking at them as parents, and they're looking at us as children. And what could we possibly have in common between child and adult, right? And it wasn't until later on in my life, much older, that I started. Actually, when I probably was about to get married, uh, which would be in the seventies, that I started learning more about my father and his past. And, um, you know, he, he had a very interesting childhood, very, which one day when I'd like to, I'd like Stephen to share his childhood because he knows everything about his childhood. That's why he's such an amazing person, but that's for another, another day. Um, but when I found out about his story, about his upbringing and, um, and I found it late in life in my seventies, I was like blown away by his story. And I feel um, my mother, likewise, I've got to find out a few things about her. But again, she just, you know, kept everything to herself. So my advice to all young people today, please, if you have parents and grandparents, learn everything you want to know about your parents, your mother, your father. Bug the heck out of them. Find out where they come from. What did they do? What kind of grandparents did they have? And also find out what your heritage is. That's another thing that I'm just going to throw in quickly, Stephen. Yep. I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm very, being that I, I was born in France and I raised you guys in the European culture, the way the Europeans yep. um, raise you. Um, what was fascinating about Europe is if you went to France, there were French people and they had their ways and their heritage and their culture. You go to Poland... Well, Polish people have their heritage and culture and their way of eating and doing things. And what I find um, today disheartening is that's like just going away because there are so many other people coming into these countries that were not born there and they're of different backgrounds and ethnic and we're losing our identity. So if your parents, let's say, come from Romania Try to learn more about Romania, you know, what was their customs, their heritage, because I find that maybe 10 years from now, Europe's going to be a total different Europe, and there's not going to be French people anymore, Polish people. Uh, We're losing our, our heritage and our identity, and I always preach to all three of you, I always talk to you about grandpa being born in Russia first, and no, it was Poland, and then it turned into Russia. And my mom was born in Germany. And I always talked about, you know, how they were raised and what they did. It's so important for you to just know where you come from, what your heritage is. And I think just knowing the trials and tribulations of what your culture came from, right? Yes. Doesn't mean it has to be the only story in your future. No, absolutely not. But like what you said is so true is Mm -hmm. that 
I think a lot of times in today's societies, we want to prove our parents wrong instead mm-hmm. of like honor them. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And we try to like, let me prove my parents wrong. No, let me honor them. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote something in the book that I read to dad a few, like two months ago and he cried and I've never seen him cry in my whole life. It touched him. It touched him touched because him. what's interesting is that our relationship with you guys, with my, you know, my mom and dad, mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this, I'm sure this can relate to you guys, is that when you understand what their childhood was like, it makes you actually understand how to connect with them, how to treat them, how to understand them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made me, it makes sense of what, dad went through and how I should treat dad Mm -hmm. and my relationship with him has gotten better Mm -hmm. and how are you ever going to put together something when you don't know the manual of what it puts so you would say that you need to understand the manual of what your family came from and you'll understand why your mom or dad is broken or they drink or Or why they got divorced or or why whatever exactly Mm -hmm. and you just love them no matter what Mm -hmm. and not just kind of create this barrier they have have a story too exactly so I think that's so that's so true. And so children need to, like I say, of course, when you're 10 or 11 and 12, that's a little young. But I would say like about 14, 15, 16, at least by the time you're 20, you really should know who your parents are. Yeah, people know people's social media profile before mm-hmm. they know their parents. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, this is good stuff, Mom. Um, and, how, uh, if you don't mind, I know ahead. you're not supposed to ask. No, wait, you're not supposed to ask. How, how old are you? How, well, what's your I'm age? Proud. I'm proud. I'm not going to hide it. Actually, you do the math. I was born in 1949. So that November is... November 8th. So it's 70. Well, I will Coming be up 70 on 70 and... And very proud of it. Yeah. November? November. November, okay. November 8th. November 8th, yep, exactly. Yeah. So you're going to be 70 years old. I don't real, feel it. Real quick, before we go to how you it. met dad, because that's oh, hilarious, God. right? <laughs> but when you were in Miami last week, you said something about being young. Because some people listen to this, right? Whether they're younger, they're older, age is a number. But you said something about Miami, and you got to be real about it. Please be I real. I don't want to offend anybody. No, no, no. But I talk about want... staying young. Come on. Oh, my God. Do you, re- do you really want me to be true? Just be true. Please. No. I'm Authentic not, and real. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I, don't care. I told Stephen. <laughs> Um, I feel young because I'm surrounded by young people and I make sure that I'm always around young people. And um, many times my husband and I will go out to a restaurant or just go out somewhere and we'll see, I hate to say people even younger than us and they look horrible. And we'll, we'll say to each other, wow, I'm glad I don't look like that. Wow, I'm glad I don't walk like that. Oh my goodness. Is that what, people look like when they're at that age do we look like that are we like that i hope not because then i don't know i think uh, our family not gonna disown us or something and i says i don't want to be like that you know what i'm gonna stick around young people because they make me feel alive but okay and that makes total sense it's not you and you're not offending anybody the point is that you have one body to take care of right how do you take care of your body how do you guys stay young because well i have to thank dad first because he was the biggest one for exercise in a house remember yep <laughs> he would do push-ups he would do weights and at that time back then when i i was in my 30s and 40s well i had three children so in between it's kind of tough you know you're pregnant you lose weight and you try to work out and then you're pregnant again um but he was a big proponent with exercise and actually um i forget the guy's name um the one that used to do just with che- uh, what's his name? Steve with- Reeves or no, no, no with cheers. John oh. based. Oh. <laughs> See today if we go to fancy gyms. They have all these fancy um, equipment, yeah, equipment and everything. Lelaine, I think his name was Jack Lelaine. Yeah, yeah. 
So if you ever look up Jack LaLanne, this guy at 70, oh my God, he had the body of a 30-year-old. Yeah. But his, his res, uh, regiment was just using chairs and simple floor exercises or just lifting heavy milk bottles. Um, but he was always in this routine of doing exercise, and he always preached to everybody. And I remember right before dinner, he would do push-ups, which would aggravate the heck out of me, but he said he had to maintain his physique. And I have to say he had a pretty good physique. Yeah, he, he had he had those stomach uh, muscles that you have, and he, he, was, he, he was very proud of his body. And I have to also compliment you, Stephen, because you're the one that encouraged us to keep it up, like to just constantly take care of yourselves and uh, now I go to I mean not now I've been going to the gym for the past yep. 15 years on and off but religiously even more religiously now because the older you are the more you have to be physical and I have muscles you do I, yeah. I, I have muscles I have firm legs and you know what I don't have the pain when I wake up in the morning I mean I feel loose and limber and it was after high uh, my freshman year I learned about nutrition I came and home then, and guys throw everything out and then yep yeah, I remember that day you came home and you say well what is all this garbage here this is no good and you'd look at the box and you'd say hey, this is not good for you and yep. da, 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 da. so you know what we learn from our children too I just want to say to the older folks learn from your kids they learn from us and we learn from them and don't sh don't shut them out if they are trying to you know say something to you of encouragement or just to change your life around or just constantly you know reminding you oh you know you shouldn't be eating that fried chicken cutlet you know that's bad for you or that cheese is bad for you or soda is bad for yep. you they're just trying to help you along so uh, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for constantly no. being on top of us. And I love you guys. Ever since, you know, dad had his heart attack and I had my carotid artery surgery redone. Um, that was a close call. We both had close calls, very close calls. And I am very happy that I am here now to experience the next, until I'm a hundred. Amen. You know, until I'm a hundred. I want to experience life. Yeah, no, it's and it's a beautiful thing, and you guys are fun to be around. I really enjoy it, and and people that get around you guys enjoy it as well. Um, real quick, before what has the Seven Rocks of Life? Because I know that's newer for you. Mm -hmm. And what has living the Seven Rock Life for you? With what I go over, you know, what we go over in the book, what has it done for you? Because you well, were the first one to read it. Actually, You're, there's only three people that have read it, um, and before this comes out, it probably will not be out yet. But what did the seven rocks of life kind of clarify well, it for you? Put, it put, you know what? It put life in perspective. You know, um, many times we work out or we eat well or we pray, but we don't put it in perspective. And um, it's like a plan that you have to follow every day and you balance everything out because maybe one day you might work out and that's it, but you don't do anything else for that day. Yep. Uh, so it kind of, you know what, it's like a blueprint of, of life. It's a blueprint of living a good life. If you want to live a good life, you need a blueprint. And I feel like the seven rocks of life is the blueprint of life. Mm -hmm. Every rock, you know, means something. For me, my biggest rock is nut nutrition. I am trying to make sure that I, um, you know, scale back on certain things because I learned a lot of um, good food, how to make food through um, Stephen's dad's mom, grandmother, who cooked lasagna, chicken cutlets, stuffed mushrooms. I mean, anything you can think of that's fattening. But that was her culture. Yeah. And nope. that's what Stephen was 
grew up on. I didn't know how to cook any other way. <laughs> and we even have the cannoli recipe that and we're sharing we the with the world. Yeah. And that's allowed maybe twice a year. So certain <laughs> foods like lasagna, we used to have practically every other every weekend. Week, yeah. Now we have it once, a, right? When, yeah. when was the last time we had lasagna? Last um, for Christmas, maybe. So, yeah, holidays, yeah. You know what? You have to learn to adapt no matter how, how hurtful it could be. And food is very <laughs> hurtful, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't take pasta away from an Italian. No way. Yeah, that's no, that's true. Yeah, no, that's it's good. I'm so proud of you, just living that balanced life. And we I see are. with you guys, I feel your guys' energy. Yes, I yes. really do as a family. Yeah. Yep. And and then some of you guys out there, you can be the spark for your family. You know, you can't tell. You you have to let your feet be louder than your tongue. And a lot of times we tell our family what to do instead of just living the way that we're supposed to. So if you're at dinner and say your family's not eating good, say, no, I'm going to order grilled chicken. I'm going to eat it. Be the example. Let what you what you live be louder than what you say. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes through anything that you do. That's true leadership mm-hmm. in your family, in your life, in your business, right? And, and that's important. And just going back a little bit about nutrition, why I feel nutrition, what you consume, what you put in your body is what's causing all these ailments yeah. and people 100%. getting sick. And why did I have clogged arteries? I kind of like... You know, I thought about it and I'm like, why did I have clogged arteries? Well, unfortunately, I was raised on kibasi. Oh my gosh. And kibasi is the worst thing, you know, because there is grease. I mean, it's natural fat or something that's made with pork, but it's delicious. And I ate a lot of kibasi. I ate a lot of black bread with lard. Grandpa would bring lard home, yeah, which would. is that white butter lard. But it's just lack of education. But it's lack of their education. But it's not only that, Stephen. They had no choice. They wanted food. Yeah, it was the cheapest, too. It was the cheapest, and they had to make food, and they had to fill you up. So, yeah. you know, when I was raised on that kind of food, and Dad was raised on all that Italian food that's heavy <laughs> and fried and sauces and you know and and his mom his lovely mom would always say manja 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 I more, when, more. He, when he when he first introduced me to the family and he brought me to the, that was the first thing I mean there I'd see food that I had never seen in my life I said, what is this? Yeah. And he would say, well, this is how we eat. I, I grew up going to the right? Lupos. You know, I'm sure Rose and, and them will listen to this. And Yeah, but they would be like, I feel, if I didn't eat the food, I just ate. They're like, you disrespect the family. Exactly. <laughs> What's the matter with you? You don't want to eat the pasta? Rose would be like, What's the matter with you? You know? It's like, come on, it's the family. I just made the food, you know? It's like, oh, gosh. Wait, wait. After the food, not one cake comes out. What about the dessert table? Multiple cakes. It was like a Venice table. It was a bakery. And we're talking about a regular Sunday dinner here. (laughs) No holiday. Yep. This is a bakery. You don't want to be around on a holiday. (laughs) Welcome to the Mazurka Bakery. Yeah, I know (laughs) it's... Oh, man. It's very, very hard to detach yourself from something like that. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, so we have about 10 minutes left and, uh, and, and this is f- great stuff. How did you meet dad? Can oh you explain God. that story? Cause that's oh hilarious. Oh my God. You really want to know? Yes. Okay. Young men. Real quick. How'd you meet the dad? Young guys, very quickly. <laughs> Don't ever give up on somebody that you meet and she turns you down and says no. Okay. No matter what she says. Um, I knew dad when I went to high school, but I didn't know him. He just happened to know my brother. And one day he, uh, we walked back then. I walked a mile going and a mile, um, going home. And the thing to do back then, if you were interested in a girl, the first thing you do in school, in high school is you ask her, can I walk you home? So he asked to walk me home. And I said, you know, he said, you know, I know your brother, you know, we're in gym class together and I just want to walk you home. I said, 
okay, fine. So he walked me home. The second time around, he asked to walk me home again. I guess he was, it was, it was like moving in, you know, like, I'm going to see if I can get a date. I'm going to see if I can get her number. And the second time around, I said, no, thank you. And you should have seen the look on his face. Like he was like, what? I said, no. Now, mind you, you don't have a picture of my husband when he was young, but he was really a good looking guy. He looked, he had like, his hair was like Fabian back there or Elvis Presley. <laughs> he had the dark black hair, the sideburns. Suavemente. He was suave, rico. That's all I can say. But you know what? I turned him down and um, that's it. Never saw him. Five years later, Back then, you went to like a disco club where if you just wanted to meet people and hang out, you just go and dance with your girlfriends and you meet guys and, you know, if you want to give your number out, you give your number out and you go out. Not like today on the internet, okay? This is the old-fashioned way. <laughs> and, oh, and this guy comes up to me and I'm there with my two girlfriends and a guy comes up to me and he goes, would you... Will I, and, when I at the time I spoke a little French just to have fun, and when I danced, I always went ooh la la, ooh la la. And this guy comes up to me and he goes ooh la la, and I look at him, didn't know who he was, but he knew my friend Maria. They were paisans. She was Italian. He's Italian. So he goes, um, "Who's your friend?" And she introduces me to him, and we dance. We have a good time. And um, at the end of the night, he wants my number, and I don't want to give it to him. <laughs> he said his name was Paul and I'm like well I came with Maria and I just don't give my number out but Maria knowing that she knew him said it's okay Olga you can give you your number so he gave me his number and he gave me a business card which I went then all of a sudden my antennas went up a little bit and I'm like oh he has a job look at this he has a business card that's pretty good <laughs> um so he calls me in a couple of days, two days, three days, and we go out. And I don't recall where we went, to be honest with you, but we do go out. And uh, I'm going out with this guy called Paul. <laughs> and we do this for about 10 days or a week and a half. Uh, right away, he starts taking me to the golf range. We go see a movie. We go to a diner. That's what we did back then, guys, okay? Simple little things. And then, I don't know, on the 11th day or whatever, or 12th day, we're talking about school and high school and who do you know and teacher and this and that. And it was during this conversation, and I remember he picked me up in his yellow Cadillac with fins. <laughs> Actually, the first day he came to pick me up, my father thought he was with the Godfather and the Mafia because back then, you know, you have an, uh, a 22, 22-year-old driving a yellow Cadillac with fins, and he has a leather jacket. I don't know, you know, my father was a little uh, suspicious, like he, was he skeptical. did. Yeah, he thought he was with the mafia. Anyway, <laughs> we're sitting in his Cadillac and we're just talking and we happened to be in front of my house and all of a sudden it clicked something he said. And I looked at him. He looked at me. This was about 10, 11 days of dating. And I said, you're not Paul. <laughs> he starts to laugh oh, and man. I look you're Vinny you're Vinny aren't you and he couldn't hold it in anymore and the only reason <laughs> I didn't recognize him we're talking about just five six years in school he was kind of puny he was thin just thin frame not puny just thin thin frame his face was small 
had a lot of hair. But five, six years, you know, he went to college, he played baseball, he became an athlete, he bulked up, and he had big muscles, big arms, big chest, his face changed. There's no way I would have said that that was him from, you know, five years ago. Well, he got me good. And so then later on, I asked him, I says, why did you pretend to be Paul and just not say you were Vinny? He goes, I was afraid that you were going to turn me down. <laughs> now, 40 years later. 40 years later, what? we're still together. Yeah. Absolutely. People that have been, you know, that are married or getting married, what advice can you give to, you know, to the world of just marriage and, and, and raising kids? Well, number one, get to know the person very well. Yeah. Just get to know that person inside and out and have conversations. I remember just going out with him and I still have that marble notebook. I have to show it to you. Hmm. Maybe it was just three months of dating and whatnot. We would sit down and we would talk about what he wanted to do with his life plans for the future. He actually wanted to run for mayor of New York City. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. And he had like a whole list of things that he wanted to do. So you have to be transparent. You have to communicate and it can't just be about having a good time and dating. We're talking about the beginning stages of dating. You really have to know each other and be there for each other and be supportive, but have mostly like, you know, the same views because if you don't have the same views, it's not going to work. Yeah. So by the time, you know, it took five years though. We, we, we went out for five years and you know, I have to tell you something. I know today, you know, people date and sometimes three months into a, a relationship, a girl wants a ring, a girl wants to get married, or she wants security, she wants to know that she's the one, and she'll put a little pressure on the guy and, you know, make him know that, hey, if you really, really love me, you know, you got to give me a ring or you have to do a commitment. We didn't do it that way back then. I don't know. It was a little different. I met dad, and I really, really, I didn't love him right away, but I liked him. I loved being with him because of his smile. He was happy. He made me feel good. We just had a lot of fun together and a lot of things in common. And by the time I turn around, it's five years that we're going out. And do you know during those five years, don't ask me why, never once did I ever ask him, oh, well, you know, am I the one? Are you going to give me a ring? Are we going to get married? I could have gone on another five years. That's how truly happy I was with him. You were happy. I was very, very happy. You didn't care about status. You care. cared about happiness. No, I didn't care about I, I knew he loved me and I loved him and we loved being together. Yeah. And from that moment when he, when he, when I first met him, I, and I, actually I'm going to, whether you like me or not, Vinny, I'm going to tell him what you did if you're listening to this podcast. I've, I'm going to go back a little bit. And I don't know if it was six months or nine months in a relationship or under a year, but it was a while. I knew he was serious because I felt like your, your father, you know, he, um, like I say, he was uh, Suave Rique and a lot of girls were attracted to him. One day we were in his office. He had an office. He was in business for himself. And he took out a little black book. It's true. Guys back then had a little black book. And you know what they had in this little black book? names of girls and their phone numbers so that when they went out to these clubs and discos the minute the girl gave a name on a piece of paper and a number they had this little black book that they would transfer <laughs> not like what you guys have the iphones today and put the yeah. numbers in an iphone so this black book was sacred and i'm like why is he opening this black book and all i saw was elisa maria marissa 
and all these numbers and he goes I want to show you something and I want to share something with you I'm like what's that book there you see this I don't need this anymore wow what do you mean you don't need this anymore and he ripped it out in a thousand pieces and I guess that uh. was his oh I'm gonna cry that I have I have shivers because I'm just reliving the moment and at that time when he ripped up all those books and I never doubted that you know that I was the one for him but when he ripped up that book with all the names and girls that was it I guess destiny you know meant that for us to be together and um yeah he's a remarkable person that's awesome it's a remarkable so person sweet. I like you you like me yeah. <laughs> we'll go forever <laughs> That's yeah. beautiful. You never, you never knew that, right? No, the I, book, the that's why black book. I knew, I heard about it, but it's, it's funny just interviewing you and, and doing this podcast because I'm learning stuff and it makes yeah. you come back from where yeah. you come yeah. from. Yeah. Um, you, this is great. This is awesome. Um, what about raising kids? Uh, one of the things that you always did to, to us is you put belief, but it wasn't false belief. It was real kind of perspective belief. Parents I, that are listening to this, yeah, right? I, I think it was raising like, kids. Yeah. What did you learn, real quick? What did you learn about? Well, that? nobody, nobody is meant to be a mom or a dad. No, but we have no experience being a mom and dad, right? Yeah. You get married, you have children. You don't go to school to become a good mom or a good dad. Um, so you do the best that you can from what you know, from maybe what you went through or your expectations of what your children you want your children to be like. And uh, we gave you guys a lot of love, but we also gave you guys to choose. Um, you know, uh, to choose what you wanted to do. There was love and there was discipline and there was respect. I know a big factor with both of us was that we needed to have your respect as children to the parents because today I don't see any respect. Kids are not showing respect to anyone, their parents, their teachers, their elders. I know that we raised you, that you had to have respect for us, but not only us. If you went to school, the teachers have to have respect, and I always said, I, I don't know if you remember, I said, look, if you have a problem in school and you can vouch for it, if a teacher, if you feel like a teacher, you're not learning from a teacher, or a teacher is saying something to you derogatory, and do not, do not confront the teacher. You come. I want you to be able to talk to me. Tell me what's going on in school, and I'll take care of the situation. And it was a perfect example between your brother and you. He had once something that happened to him with teacher, the language that they used against yeah. him. Yeah. And I'm not going to, you know, say what they said about him. But when he came to me, actually, I did not find out through him. I found out through a friend that she labeled him a certain name. And that touched the bottom of my heart. And I took care of that teacher. I went there. She's not alive anymore. And <laughs> I didn't go to the teacher directly. I just went yeah. to the principal. Yeah. And we had a conversation with no, the teacher. But I think that goes for society. We label yes. things or yes, people. Yes, he was and labeled then, yeah. and that was horrible. Yeah. But with you, I found very interesting because they said you had a speech impediment. Yeah. And there was a teacher, which I'm not going to mention, uh, who, because they say you had some kind of speech. Oh, you didn't start talking until age five, full sentences. You had a that binky was the toe, problem. like seven. Right. You, you did not talk. You didn't have full sentences. And I tried to tell the teacher, well, no, he'll be fine. I had a lot of faith in him. I knew the language of skills were going to come. He was just a late bloomer. 
you know, he was an October baby and I put him in school in September. You're always behind in your age. And I knew three months later you would just pick up. But the amazing thing is they label kids when they're young like that. Yeah. And, and then this is the belief that carries on for the rest of their I life. And I remember them putting you in speech and taking you out of your regular classroom, going to speech. And you did that for a couple of weeks. And then you came to me and you said, Mom, I'm not learning anything. I'm just playing games. And I asked you more questions, and your answers bothered me. And I said, you're right, Stephen. She's not teaching you anything. Well, I took care of that situation, too. But there was communication there. And I have to say, you know, thank God that my children were able to express themselves. And I feel bad for a lot of kids when they're young like that. Yeah. They don't know how to express themselves, and they're afraid to go to their mother or father because they think by saying, hey, that teacher's not teaching me or I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that teacher, they, they don't think the parents are going to believe them. But I have found that all three of you, you always had enough confidence in both of us to come to us when something wasn't right. And we took care of it. Yeah. We did. And I, and I trusted that, you know, with you guys. And I think one thing I remember as a kid, if you're listening to your parent, mm -hmm. is that you guys gave me freedom, but you always said, don't let the family down. Yes. Respect. And I, and I was always respect. afraid of dad's belt buckle, you know, and uh, he never used he never it, used but it was it, a big it was buckle. Just, it, was it was an just ego. A big buckle, yeah. Remember, I know now you ego. say that you're like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> no, like no. people come to your house now. No, it, they were just, I just was afraid to let them down. They said, we'll give you the freedom. But also you created an environment at home mm -hmm. that was a fun environment to bring friends. And well, I think that's an important thing as a parent, right? Is to create an, an environment that your kids want to be around. The, there was a reason for that too, though. I'd rather have your friends come over your house and be, you know, in my home, in your home, mm -hmm. and than for you to, you know, go in somebody else's house. Because I feel that sometimes kids get influenced by other adults, other children that really are not good role models and... You're still at a tender age, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. I know kids feel like, oh, they're 15. Oh, I'm a big person now. I can handle my own my own uh, problems or whatnot. But it's such a tender age. We as parents always knew when it was the right time to let you guys make your decision. So up until that time, you have a controlled environment. You know, yes, maybe you're in a bubble. Yes, you had a lot of friends. All three of you had a lot of friends. We had sleepovers. We had a huge yard. But um, it was kind of controlled yeah. because I knew who your friends were. And today, I'm sorry, it's parents. If, you, if you're parents of young children, it's so important to know who the parents are because sometimes these children don't have the best role models. So always know who their friends are and learn to know who the parents are because you know that we always knew who the parents were of your friends. Yeah. And and became friends. Because it's those things. It's those things. It's kind of like um, mm -hmm. when you're in sports, why are you going to have another coach teach your mindset when mm -hmm. that coach is teaching the right mentality? Mm -hmm. And that's being a parent. Yeah. So going back to what makes you a good parent, like I say, there's no book. I read a lot, but there's no book. It's an intuition. It's internal. It's yeah. like you go by your gut feeling as a mom and a dad and uh, you raise... You, ra you raise good kids. I'm not going to say you raise perfect kids. There's no such thing as perfection. Yeah. But you raise good kids, and I want you kids to be as good as I was to my parents because I always respected my parents, and I felt like respect is the biggest thing yeah, that you, I want out of children. One thing I always saw about you, Mom, is that you always, and even just the other day, you went to see Mom and Dad at, you know, at the, mm -hmm. 
uh, cemetery and just mm-hmm. you always pay the respect and mm-hmm. you always we're always there for them i'm always there for them and i think that's so important eastern culture does that a lot where it's Even, like hey let me not put you in a nursing home let me take care of you well that's what i did with grandma she um yeah. after grandpa passed away she developed dementia and yeah. she couldn't be left alone both my sister and i took care of her and there was no way we were going to put her in a nursing home yeah we let her stay in her environment and and the funny thing about people that have dementia is if you play their music from the past and it, my sister just accidentally was playing an old record, a Polish record from like 1950 that we have, and a French record. My mom started singing, and it put her back. It transcended her in the past. Here we go again. Wow. Talking about the past, using the past and bringing it forward. Yep. And it gave her such peace and tranquility, and she was humming and singing. And just to see my mom so happy... Aww. It just so we made sure those records were always there for her, and she always and then she wanted more, but that's what made her happy. Yep, you know, because it's those fundamental foundations. Of if what you had put her in a nursing home, they wouldn't have done that for her. Yeah, you lose years that way. So maybe you know, six, seven years, it was very hard, you know, to uh, take care of someone who has dementia and eventually couldn't walk, and all she did was sit in the chair. But we made her as comfortable as possible because she was my mother. Yeah. And there was no way we were just going to just put her in a nursing home, let her just, you yeah. know. No, it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, you know, with, with that being said is um, what are the things you remember as a child or even raising us funny things and funny experiences? Oh Do you have a, like two or three before we wrap oh up? Oh, my God. No, I have to. Oh, my God. Steven, okay. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. You used to dress up. You're going to give me the answer. You used to dress up with your pants pulled up high with suspenders. <laughs> I did. Big glasses. and Oh, Urkel. Did yes. I do that? Steve Urkel. Do it. Do it again. Did I do that? And, but you would do this without us knowing you getting dressed like oh, that yeah, first. Yeah. We'd be in the that. kitchen talking and then all of a sudden... We'd look at your getup, and oh my God, when you did that, we we just we we just laughed hysterical. Do you yeah, remember? That? I do. I do remember that now. And I re- I remember one time when I woke up at six p.m., but I thought it was six a.m. and I got ready for school uh-huh. and I took a nap and I thought uh-huh. it was the next day uh-huh. and I I was like, why is everybody up this morning? Uh-huh. And I was like, well, why are you guys up at six a.m.? Uh-huh. And you guys played along with me. And what's crazy is then. Um, I ended up um, like leaving to go to the school bus and it didn't get like lighter in the morning. It got darker. And then I came back. I said, I don't like you guys. And I went back to my room because I figured it was the evening. It was in the morning. Do you even remember that? I don't remember that. No. I remember that. Well, yeah, you know why you're confused? Up. I'm going to tell you why you're confused because it was a trick that I did. Um, by 7, 7.30, it could be the brightest day out there, sunny. Mm-hmm. We had those midnight blue shades. Yeah which we kind of still have in some of the rooms. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for the midnight blue shades, at 6.30, we would close the blinds and say, take a bath, because we were very, I'm sorry, I had a ritual. The kids had to be in bed by 7.30. That's it, whether the sun was out or not, during school days. And you guys would go up there, and it was really super dark. So maybe the darkness of the room Probably, in yeah. the morning, and yeah. you really never saw any light. <laughs> Can you explain why we had plastic couches? Well, that's an Italian thing. That's not me. I mean, guess what? Your father, your father buys white furniture, velvet white Let furniture. Let me put plastic on it. So, of course, you're going to put plastic on it. Yeah, yeah. So, two more. This is awesome. Two more things before we wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of funny things we could talk about. Talk about 
learning how to play injured in life, you know, because you've always had just a great perspective and, you know, things are going to happen. That's going to happen in life. How do you play injured in life? How do you keep a great, you know, you always send me Mother Teresa quotes, right? How have you always had a positive mindset and where has that come from and just playing injured in life and moving okay. forward? I have to give credit to your father as far as being positive because prior to that, I, I was not raised in a positive home. I mean, it was just a simple home, simple parents, and I just went about, you know, um, being that I didn't grow up with friends, I had no friends because I think I didn't feel like I fit in in the beginning when I first came from America. I didn't feel like I was American enough. Um, I didn't feel like the children, I had anything in relation to these kids. And I was shy. I was very, very shy. And it was hard for me to make friends. So I, I lived in that kind of a household where, you know, it wasn't negative, but it was just a simple household. And I entertained myself by, you know, drawing, painting. My father signed me up for accordion lessons. I learned to live alone in my own little world. And I don't regret it because I have so many attributes and I feel so talented. Uh, so I, I stayed positive and um, I enjoyed my life growing up, even though I had a simple life. But when I met your dad and he introduced me to a book once, it was a positive book. Norman Vincent Peale, I, I think it was, The Power of Positive Thinking. No, it was a Nightingale book. Um, yeah, I know yeah, what you're one talking of the about. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. And I started reading this book because he was the most positive, upbeat, happy, go-lucky person, uh, contagious, uh, never saw him sad, just always happy, 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 upbeat. Oh, my God. From one, one side of the room to another, even going to sleep. And I read this book, remember reading this book, and it was a new world. And it was all about positive thinking. And this book just woke me up. I woke up. At that moment, I woke up just reading one book. And I remember he had a library of these books because I could see the titles. And mm -hmm. I, I started to know that the authors and you, you could just see, you know, that they were part. And I wanted to read another book. And being that, you know, we, we were just dating, he would drop me off at home and then he was in his house. Um, he gave me this one book. And when I finished reading the book, I said, oh, I want to read more. I'm going to try to find out the name of this book because it was such a simple book, though. And he said, no, you're not ready for another book. I said, what do you mean I'm not ready for another book? No, I want to know more. So I had to read it two or three times or maybe four times before he decided to give me a second book. And by reading these books, it just opened my mind. The Strangest Secret? Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. That was the book. Thank you. Yes, it's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. The strangest secret. Yes. It and just, what is the strangest secret? Well, you have to read the book. Okay. You got to read the book. I'm not going to share that because everybody interprets it differently. Mm. But I have to say, from that point on, from reading that one book and being with your father, who was always positive in his life, it became part of my life, and I just, I just had to, I, which I never knew. That, you know, I lived my life like that and I've always been positive. Yeah, you have. And I've always stayed away from people that are negative because I, I just didn't like negativity. I didn't like gossip and negativity and people that complain all the time. Actually, 
when people complain and they're negative, I just, you know what, I'd rather not have that friend than to be with that friend. And maybe that was one of the reasons I didn't have a lot of friends because it was hard to find people like yourself. Yeah. They're there. And I did have a few friends, but I'd rather have a few good quality friends than to have multiple friends who I have nothing in common just because, oh, I have a lot of friends. So what? I'd rather just have a few yeah. quality, and that's how I lived my life, my whole life, and continue to do so. Yeah, and I, and I see that with you guys. And uh, I was going to ask you what's the best advice for the world, but I think that's a great advice. Well, actually, I have a formula. Yeah. It's very, very, very short and simple, okay? And it's, you ready? Mm-hmm. It's being kind, laughing, and smiling mm. equals happiness. That's that. my formula. Being kind, laughing, smiling equals happiness because this is what, you know, I, I, I live my whole life with my better half, your father, who this is, this is his philosophy. This is what he practiced, just smiling, laughing, being kind equals happiness. It's well, simple. Well, usually I ask this question to end and I feel like this is the answer to the question. So I feel like I need to answer the question because there's an, there's an end question to the end of the, of, of everything that we talk about. Right. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask you the question. You've heard the podcast, you know, a multiple times. So if you had one, if you had a billboard for the whole world to see, oh my goodness, what would your message be to the world? I'm going to go back to that one word that is lacking today in the world. And that's having respect. Mm. There's no respect in the world. There's no respect. Countries have no respect. Leaders have no respect. People have no respect. I think respect is a big word. There's no respect. Just think about if everybody had was respectful to one another, what kind of world this would be. Yeah. Respect. And love. Respect and love, of course. Yeah. Well, Mom... Thank you so much. Uh, You're quite welcome. When this comes out, I know it's going to be something that really touches a lot of people's hearts. And um, you didn't have to do it with wine. You did it with water. So I'm so proud of you. And my, my, my voice stayed. Thank God. Yes. Thank God. Thank no, goodness. this is great. And, and I'm just so, so happy to be um, be your son. And uh, and just uh, I know the Seven Rock Life Nation world is going to be touched by this. And you have anything else to say? Au revoir et à bientôt. Ah, oui, oui, bonjour. Parlez pour français. Merci beaucoup. Love you guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy this podcast. Share it. Uh, check it out on 7 Rock Life on Instagram. Leave a review if this affected you. Share it with your parents, your family. Love you guys so much. God bless you all and enjoy the rest of your day. Signing out. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Many people have been asking what 7 Rock Life is about. It first came from a book I wrote, which you can find on 7rocklife.com or Amazon called The 7 Rocks of Life. This book was designed to help those out there hurting or lost in life that just need direction and maybe have no one to turn to. And through my hardest time of life when I hit rock bottom at 31 years old, learning and discovering these 7 Rocks of Life saved my life and helped me get out of my lowest point. I tell the story of how the brand came about and go through each rock of life in detail throughout the book. Through that time, I decided to start journaling on my phone, things I was learning and discovering about life and, and even myself. During this hard time of life, people I was blessed to be around, you know, they saw me and changed a lot and said, you should write a book to share the Seven Rock Life mentality. So I did and decided to share it with the world. 
Now, with Seven Rock Life Clothing, that came because of a story of when I went to Dominican Republic to play baseball at 16 years old. You can visit that at stevenzirkle.com slash charity to see the whole story. What's really great about this clothing brand is every month we donate Seven Rock Life clothes and items to many different causes and charities based on how many items are bought for the month. So every item that somebody buys, another item is donated. The first of every month, we share on our Instagram page, which is at 7 Rock Life, where we donate and how many items as well. I wish I could take full credit for this brand, but I give all the credit to God. You know, He helped me create it, and i just just renting it out while I'm here. We believe if life has given us so much, we should give back to it. Another mission we have is to build schools and playgrounds around the world. I believe learning and having fun every day is the key to life uh, and staying young. So visit 7rocklife.com to shop and help with giving back to the world. We are a brand that lives to inspire, living that VCF life every day. Always remember, smile in life and dream big, dream often. Have a blessed week.